This podcast covers a murder that occurred in 1983. It is a true story, and while I have relied heavily on police reports and public documents, the opinions of the host and interviewees are simply that, opinions, not facts. The credibility of the witnesses and what they say is to be determined by the listener. Everyone is presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. A snapshot of Reed City, Michigan in 1983 looks very much like any small town in the Northeast with its main street, in this case called Upton Street, lined on both sides with businesses. They all have the same general shape and layout. Long, deep spaces with basements, most with a second floor that at one time would have been the living quarters of the shopkeepers. In 1983, some of those second levels, the ones that hadn't succumbed to fire like the buckboard, were still apartments that people rented out. Some were being used as storage and others had been converted into other business spaces. The front of the Gamble store is all glass with the door in the center, so you could see all the way into the store from outside. When you open the door under the large Gamble sign, you enter an establishment that carries everything from tire irons to kids' bikes on their long aisles of tall shelving that ran from front to back. You could pick up a car battery at Gamble's or plant spikes. Such was the range of items being sold there in 1983. If your reason for being in the store was something for your pet gerbil or fish or bird, you would be headed down to the downstairs pet department, which was set up by the owners, Dave and Bonnie Ingalls. It also contained hobby items like model cars and craft items. There was even a sign in the front shop window that said, pet and hobby shop in basement. Although the word hobby was spelled H-O-B-B-I-E. The Gamble store itself was essentially two stores that had been made into one by an expansion doorways were cut into the original gamble side on the street level, as well as the basement. The owners had purchased what had previously been an establishment called the men's store, which dealt in, well, exactly what it sounds like, apparel for men. Gambles had one front exit and two back exits in 1983. One of the exits was on the gamble side, and the other was on the old men's store side, where they would accept incoming deliveries. There was no exit to the outside from the basement. You would have to ascend one of two sets of stairs, and only one of those was readily known to customers, although anyone familiar with the old men's store would have known there would have to have been a set of stairs on that side that led to access their basement. And a lot of these stores had basically the same setup. Campbell's also had an upstairs office that was lined with windows on the street-facing side, so anyone up there in the office could see down into the front section of the store and out onto the main street. From the Michigan State Police Report. The basement of the original Gamble store, 114 West Upton, is now used as a pet shop with display area for animals, birds, and fish. All money sales, 
with the exception of the pet shop, are transacted upstairs on the 114 West Upton side of the store, with two cash registers located on this side. One is in the middle of the store floor area, near where the main entrance and exit of the pet shop is, and the other being toward the front or street entrance, southward from the first mentioned register. Essentially, to get to the pet shop, after entering the front door, you'd walk about half to two-thirds of the way through the original gamble side, and the stair access would be on your right, next to the register in the middle of the store. The staircase itself is four or five steps down initially, and then a hard right turn, where the stairs descend the rest of the way into the basement. For the purposes of clarity, if you were standing at the bottom of those stairs, looking into the length of the pet shop, once you were down in the basement, you would essentially be looking toward what would be the front of the store, directionally speaking, because you've made a basic U-turn in getting down there in the first place. The size of the basement pet department was generally about two-thirds the length of the full gamble store above, give or take. It was dark downstairs by all accounts, at least near the back of the pet store, to take advantage of the whole right section of wall that had been lit from within by the fish tanks built into the walls. The back wall had tanks for small animals, and similarly, the left wall in that back area, which today is a hollowed-out shell that formerly contained a display area, had a section of cages for birds, if I'm to believe the recollections of multiple customer accounts. What I was struck by when I visited the basement with my sister, and I've been back there a couple times now, was that there's still a lot of pet paraphernalia back there. Old tanks with that gerbil-type bedding, old empty fish tanks in the walls, where you can see through into the back room where Jeanette was found. This is the set of stairs that I came down that was in, was it Reese? Was it in the center of the, um, mm -hmm. it was in the center of the room um, in, of the uh, hardware Hardly store, so. and behind it and above it was the office that you could see out from, right? Did mm -hmm. we see that big window, like a big office mm -hmm. that was above? Okay, so we walked down these stairs. See, notice there the are still handwritten tanks. signs over some of the tanks that list the I'm types of fish. An, an old sign that was here. It's clear that the owners okay. tried to make a go of it go after the murder right. because changes have been made down there. This was the cash register area. Just storage. A small storage closet. Very small. It goes the length of this wall. And you notice there's a peg area, the phone, the old phone. So this would have been where the register was. Um, cases are still here. It's actually a really kind of neat room. All right. In fact, one of the changes the when I spoke to a former employee was that they put locks on the back room doors and caged in a little area so that when they went back into the back room, they could lock themselves in and out. Can you imagine being so scared at the place where you worked that you would feel like you had to lock yourself in and out of the back room? Um, so that's how thick that was. But we can hear um, stuff from upstairs absolutely walking around as we're here. So we can absolutely every, hear. Every footfall. Every, yeah. Um, so this is one straight shot. But what I did not know was fish, this whole sidelines, the, um, there, Piranha, see there's still signs on here. Chicklets. I wonder who wrote those signs. I wonder if Jeanette wrote them. From 
everyone that I've spoken to. It was just too creepy for many customers to ever return. As with most small-town businesses, there weren't many employees in 1983, and Gamble's was no exception. There were Dave and Bonnie Ingalls, the owner and his wife, John Ingalls, Dave's brother, who is listed in the police report as being the manager, and two older ladies that were store clerks named Flossie and Angie. And then there was a man named David Sandlin who worked part-time, according to his wife, on truck delivery days. Okay, what I didn't realize is that this whole section behind all this and behind all that in an L shape is, I assume, the storage room they're talking about. And someone could have come... This is an access by a door. You see? So the customers would only probably be privy to one big open space, one big... But back here, there's a whole other section. We're going to come back here and show you. Um... Behind the fish tanks are all behind here. This is where they would access those. Today, there are actually three different access points to the back room that ran like an upside-down L-shape behind the pet store. On the right-hand side, it's just like a long hallway where the boiler is that leads up to the bottom part of the upside-down L, which is essentially just a small area behind the pet department where the tanks could be accessed where there's a sink where she could feed and water the birds and other animals, and where all the essential supplies for the pet store could have been kept. You didn't even check back there. Mm-hmm. Um, it goes the whole length. The whole length. It's very far. All the way back behind you. Whatever. Oh, I don't like being back here. Um, I just, this is a heater or whatever. So, but okay, the big silver thing is a heater, and then to the right of it is a tunnel that goes all the way down. Okay, what's down there? Is there a light on? No. Do you see a light for this room anywhere? There's a light bulb right above your head. So I don't know where the fixture would turn on. Oh, God. Here, let me see if I can get in there. It looks like there's some light in there. Go down it. Just go straight down. I'm scared to go down there. All right, here, you hold this. I'll hold the camera. Okay, this is directly behind the... This is my sister. She's in a zombie costume. The only reason I want to check it out is because you can see through all these tanks to the back. Yes. I wouldn't, want, I wouldn't think anybody would do anything where uh, they could be seen. Right. Um, that would be a place... But I think that's not where they found her. But they could have done something back there. That's the thing. Jeanette was the clerk in the pet department. She and her husband had moved to Reed City about two and a half years earlier from Georgia. Her mother, Marion Fisher was the city clerk and treasurer at the time. After they arrived, Jeanette had worked briefly at a place called Nartron from October 7th of 1981 through December 7th of that same year. Only a couple months, but enough that after the murder happened, her brief employment there would play into one of the many conspiracy theories surrounding this case. We'll get to that in future episodes, because there's quite a few of those. But for now, it's January 19th, 1983. It's a fairly mild winter day, and she's been working in the Gamble's pet department for a while now. She'd been laid off from Nartron, but when they had called her back in August of 1982, she had already found her new job, one that, by all accounts, she really liked. Sweet, angelic, always kind. This is generally how Jeanette was described by the store patrons and folks who knew her a tiny blonde gal who loved animals so much, I'm told that she once refused to sell a bird to a young local teen because she knew he played his music too loud and she was afraid it would be off-putting to the bird. 
Here's an excerpt from a letter she had written to her father right around this time. I haven't done anything this morning. Got a guitar lesson after Mama leaves after lunch, so I better go over that. Okay, that's over and done with. At least I did practice this week. The piece I'm learning is my 59th lesson, and it's called Say It With Music, adapted from Tchaikovsky's Fifth Second Movement. Bud, the maintenance man, is clearing the snow out of the courtyard outside the kitchen window. He cleared most of it with his truck. Now he's going back over it with a miniature snowplow deal. It looks like a lawnmower tractor with a cab on top and a cute little snowplow in front. It looks so funny. I am sleepy. I'm going to bed early tonight. That's what I always say. I know I'm going to yawn all the way through my lesson, and Mr. Truman will think that I think he's boring. Oh well. Guitar lesson wasn't bad. Mr. Truman wants me to study Hawaiian guitar when I'm through with flat top. Did I tell you my guitar broke? It just sort of started to fold up. The neck came loose from the body and the bridge came unglued. Mr. Truman couldn't keep it in tune, so I couldn't play it. I felt pretty bad when he showed me where it was breaking, because you can't play a broken guitar. He drove me over to Claire to look at some new ones, and he bought one for me and told me I could pay him back $5 a week. It's a concert size like my other one, but it has an adjustable neck. I even got a case with it. It's not a fancy name, not a Gibson or a Fender. They had a Fender electric guitar, but they said they had to have $525 for it. They said it was a $900 guitar. That's not including the amplifier or case. Did I tell you I have a little bluegill? A lady came down to the pet store with it and wanted to feed the turtle. The turtle couldn't catch it and the boss said I had to get it out of the store because it was illegal for pet stores to have them. So I took him home and I set up a 10-gallon tank for him. I haven't seen him eat yet and I've had him about a week. I'm feeding him dried shrimp pellets, dried mosquito larvae, and dried flies. I started feeding him frozen beef heart, but he didn't eat it and it smelled up the tank. I know he'd like some worms, but I can't find any. He's only three inches long. In the spring, I'm going to turn him loose. Well, I gave away three male gerbils and got that little black and white one from Tiffany. Everyone here is fine. Alvin is laid off from work for a week, but we're doing good. I made a little extra last week because I worked an extra day and that helped. I really like my job. The boss is a little hard to like sometimes. I think she forgets that I haven't been in this business as long as she has. Oh well, the customers are nice too. The ladies that work upstairs sometimes ask me to come up and have coffee with them in the morning. Well, I guess, Daddy, that I'd better close this and stick it in the mailbox so you will get it before next year. So I'll talk to you later, okay? Well, she paints an easygoing picture of her life at this point, we know there were things roiling in the background, things she apparently chose to keep out of the account she was sharing with her father. 
far too brutal for a random attack or a robbery. Somebody was pretty angry at this person. So detectives looked into those closest to Jeanette and discovered that she and her husband, Alvin, were getting a divorce. It's pretty well known that the, the husband, Jeanette's husband and her, were not together at that point. It was even discovered that Alvin Robertson was seeing another woman. Still, detectives at the time were eventually able to rule out Alvin and his then-girlfriend as suspects. Meanwhile, in Reed City, bizarre rumors started to swirl. Was there more to Jeanette Robertson than people knew? There's no indication that she was doing anything, you know, outside the ordinary other than, you know, just a normal hometown girl that was, uh, you know, having some issues at home. Could it have been somebody with an infatuation with her? Yes. Is that a possibility? Yes. Months, years, decades passed, and still to this day, no arrests, no charges, not even a suspect. There is no true suspect at this point. Yep, go ahead. I'm going to go behind you. We're walking here's, straight here's back. Here's your boiler. Okay, here's the boiler. Uh, number two sectional boiler. So okay. It's the old school coal boiler. Okay, we're just going to walk straight back. I'll walk back if you're if I'm behind you. I'm going to give you a little bit of... It looks like all boxes and glass. Yeah. This is where you're... Are we facing the front of the store or the side of the store? We are facing the back now. We're facing the back right now. He's behind us at the front door. That's the front yes. door. Yes. That's the back door. Okay, this what's back side. here and how much room? Because this would be... This a... goes all the way back. And is it straight? Tell me what's at the end of it. Because I can't really get any film back here. There's not enough light. Just go directly back and tell me if there's any doors, if there's any way to get out or in. And the phone's ringing? Oh, that's fuck. That's I'm sorry. That's creepy. But the phone that she would have answered just is ringing right now. That's creepy. So it, it, this is. She would come back here behind the. Wait a minute. There's a door behind the register. I didn't see it. Yeah, it's the one that had the pet sign on it that you looked in and said it was a little storage room. Okay, we'll go in it on the on the this way back. Connects, this connects to it. Okay, we'll go in it on the way back. But basically, back here is a lot of place where something could have happened that nobody would have seen but not, not heard. I can hear everything that's going on upstairs. And then there was that other thing. A man coming down to the basement in the days leading up to her brutal murder. She pointed this mystery man out to a friend who was visiting her in the pet department one day. That's him, she told her friend. The man came halfway down the stairs, saw that she had a customer, and then turned and went back up the stairs. Jeanette had already told her friend about the man and how he'd been coming in, making her uncomfortable, even so far as appearing directly behind her in the back room one day, an area only meant for employees, startling her when she had turned around. This man was described as having dark hair, Glasses that were square, she called them old-fashioned, and he was in his late thirties or forties. From news accounts, it was clear that they knew about this someone back then, but as far as we know, this mystery man has never been identified by name. Certainly not publicly. Police may know who he is, though. So this is that whole back area that runs the length of it. And then there's also, I don't know if this was birds at the time, because we've got coop stuff here, but this is where she was found, I assume, because this is directly beneath the front door. Um, and they said that she was found in a storage room back beneath the front door. So I'm pretty sure this is where it was. Um, also, because we know about the coal chutes, we don't know if those coal chutes were, were covered in. We're going to find out by then. But this is where the coal chute would have been filled in at some point, where the person would have had access to go out there 
and up and down a row outside under the cement um, and get back and forth from other businesses. But like I said, we're not sure if that was closed in at that time and we need to find out because we've got different sets of wall. Racy, check this wall out. That looks like, um, that's styrofoam over top of... Concrete block. Uh-huh. But the concrete's different, Race. That's brick. And that's a slab, like a firewall. So that might have been where it was open. Right, so those, that's where it might have been. And then this right And then we've here. got the same material they used right outside, which is where I think was completely open down here. I think this is where the coal suit was. Right, is this is where, right out there is where customers would be. Customers are right through that glass. And I don't know if there were customers out there at the time. These must have been fish, and that was obviously something in cages. But... You could see through that, so they would have had to probably been down there. He could have dragged her space. in here. Yeah. He could have dragged her in here. In a news article after the murder, the county prosecutor said, We are urging anyone who may have seen someone giving Mrs. Robertson a hard time or bothering her in any way prior to her death to call the state police post in Reed City. He added, Someone may have even heard something between Jeanette and her assailant that would be extremely beneficial to us. Is the mystery man her killer? Or is it just a coincidence that there was another man, in addition to the killer, who found himself drawn down to that basement, drawn to the sweet 27-year-old mother of two, practicing Jehovah's Witness, wife, sister, friend, and daughter? It's important to this story that you understand the remoteness of that basement. It's not a place that someone would just randomly find themselves in. Off the Beaten Path perfectly describes a pet store in the dreary basement of a hardware-slash-everything store in a small town with a population around 2,500 at the time. So this is that door that leads back to that whole long tunnel that runs along the back of this cash register all the way down through a big L-shape to where um, she was found. So that's that. Just going to look up. Yes, it's what we... Just don't I keep seeing stuff. I just... That's good. So this is a room that was next to it. I want to make sure... What this is now storage for the hardware shop. You can see he's got all of his paint and supplies so down here. So when we get so. back upstairs, let's ask him if this was there at the time. What was it? What was here? And there's another door right here. Which leads to a very small room. Yeah, it's not a... Well, there's a whole bunch of room back there. This leads the whole length. Again? Yep. But this goes all the way down to the end, too, and... It goes behind the cemented wall. Are you sure that goes all the way to where we were just at? Yeah, it goes to where the wall was cemented. Oh, but it doesn't go into that... Uh, it does not go into the room. Okay, so this is a separate room. Yeah. But someone could have hidden here very easily. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of rooms. You can see there. how far back... It's not there's just some one old room. posters down there. Yeah. You want me to get some footage down there? Yeah, go ahead and see what that wall is. Oh my god, look at the action pack. Gee, I just. Careful. Oh. Yeah, see what you see right there. It looks like there's some new. What's that sign on there say? Child's Auto Coaster Wagons. You picture that because that's old. old. This, is, this is. It's an old sliding door. There's even more back here. This is this is the next door neighbor's boiler. That's what they cemented and closed off. There's a cement wall here that blocks this boiler from that boiler. Oh, okay. That's the neighbor's boiler.
Yeah, there's another boiler. No, there's no way to get out. This is creepy. Yeah, I know. Right. So we're going up the stairs. We need to be careful, it's steep. Mm hmm. Um, this is the, another set of entrance. We're coming out into the hardware store in a different place than we came up. Where are the stairs we took? Over there? What is known is that there was a lot of space above and below the main street level of the gamble store where someone who'd done something truly despicable could have hidden for some amount of time before they made themselves presentable enough to continue the charade among the employees and customers before they fled to safety. To date, that safety has lasted 35 years. Although one must wonder how safe anyone who slaughtered and tortured another human being can feel if only within their own mind. It makes me sad to think that someone would spend their last moments back there, in that back room. It was dark back there. Cold. The floor was dirty. There were cages with birds hanging in the back room, bird seeds scattered all over. You have to wonder how long he was back there with her, with the amount of damage done. And if any customers came in between and he was stuck back there with her, trying to keep her quiet, if she was conscious at all. Does he think about it? About leaving her there, partially clad, as the first news accounts described, in that cold basement, with the bird she loved looking down at her? If only they could have spoken, we'd know. <laughs>